Summertime is heating up at Global Voice Broadcasting. Hot music, hot talk, and hot topics. All day, every day, 24-7. You don't want to miss a minute on Global Voice Broadcasting. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Breakups, man, they are not easy. For those of you who've gone through one, if not many, bumpy breakups like myself, you know what I'm talking about. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we are going to explore breakups today, more specifically, how to get through them without losing yourself. First, I have an experience to share with y'all that happened in my early 20s and still makes me cringe. It's funny in one of those, like, super hindsight kind of ways. I met this guy, we'll call him Humphrey, at a club in Minneapolis. Uh, Shortly after I had been in the hospital, um, my appendix had burst. Then I had 30 days of bed rest and I was so sick of lying around. So I took up an offer from a friend to hit the town and I was really, really up for letting loose. And I did probably too much getting really tipsy and meeting Humphrey a man I talked very tipsily to for hours, thinking we're bonding, right? Uh, We started dating very quickly, thinking, again, that we were, you know, in our intoxicated state, (laughs) somehow soulmates, and quickly realized that this was far from the case. We were not a good match. Uh, Humphrey was an accountant, and I was a psych major slash artist not otherwise specified. He had visions of marriage and children. I dreamed of traveling the world, doing public speaking, and starting nonprofits. He loved steak. I loved legumes. He was a night owl. I was a morning person. And when we had sex, it was kind of like we were in separate rooms trying to make love to somebody we couldn't find. Yeah, that sounds ouchy. I know. Uh, Alcohol was really our only mutual path to enjoyment. So if we weren't buzzed, we couldn't have fun. Major red flag. Finally, I realized it was time to part ways. So I did the very rational thing and I wrote him a breakup song. Uh, And the next night I got to his place with my guitar and I'm all, you know, imagining this like movie scene that we're going to handle this like responsible adults and I'm going to sing this song and we're both going to have this moment of kind of understanding and maybe we'd have one final kiss and I would leave dramatically and we would wish each other well. And, you know, I assumed he really felt our incompatibility, too. So my hands are all sweaty and I'm sitting there and he's watching me and I start plucking my strings and chirping out this Dear John kind of like song, um, totally avoiding eye contact. And I got to the end, strummed my last chord. I gazed up at Humphrey and he was just sort of pink cheeked and silent, just standing there. And finally, he mumbled something about being speechless. And then he held me, and we did actually have a a kiss. Our last kiss was probably, ironically, our best. And presuming there was nothing more to say, I just got up and left. The next night, I performed with a band I was in at the time at this coffee shop. And I stood up on stage and introduced my new number, right? And (laughs) it was called, I'm not kidding, Came and Went. Wow. Uh, And explained to the audience that it was also called my breakup song. 
then I spotted Humphrey. At that moment, he stood up. I didn't realize he was there in attendance. Um, I just caught a, a glance at his face and he did not look happy. He looked stunned, maybe a little angry. And it took me a couple of bars trying to remember my new song and, and seeing Humphrey leave that he had no idea our that my song was breaking up with him. He thought we were still together and he was there to see me sing. How sad is that? I think the moral of the story is don't date anyone you have to be drunk to have fun with. And if you are compelled to write a song for an accountant who totally doesn't get you and vice versa, and you think that's a good idea, maybe you should instead spell out the message very, very clearly. (laughs) Breakups don't all have to be awkward, catastrophic experiences that put our lives on hold. If you are struggling with a breakup, you are far from alone. Today's guest may be just what the doctor ordered. Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford is a licensed psychologist and breakup coach based in Atlanta, Georgia. She helps amazing women gain confidence and clarity after breakups and believes that breakups are often the catalyst for women making remarkable strides in their lives. I love that. Find out more about her and how she can help you by visiting her website, www.hellodrjoy.com. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Joy. How are you doing today? I'm great. So great to be with you, August. I was so excited to talk to you, partly because I had never heard of a breakup coach and the concept makes so much sense. Just hearing that term, I feel like everyone who hears it goes, that makes so much sense. Uh, (laughs) What led you into this specialty? Well, I, I think it's a great synergy between the things that I'm most passionate about, which include women's mental health and relationships. Um, you know, so I kind of really fell into the specialty because my caseload as a psychologist really has been primarily women for most of my career. And so in looking back over my caseload, I kind of realized that um, most of my clients were either struggling with recent breakups are dealing with kind of the act after effects of um, breakups that had happened in the past. And what common challenges do you see women face? I'm sure they're all different, but are there some kind of common themes? Yeah, I think for my caseload specifically, um, I deal with a lot of women who are 30 and older. Um, and so I think that when breakups happen in this age group in particular, there tends to be a lot around um, timelines and, um, you know, like what happens if I want to get married and have children and, you know, issues related to fertility and those kinds of things come up. Um, so I think we spend a lot of time talking th- talking about things like that. Um, a lot of hesitancy to try new relationships for fear that it will end also. And, you know, will I really be able to pick myself up after another bad breakup um, and real difficulty letting go of the ex? Um, so a lot of, you know, continuing to call, continuing to text them and really um, with the advent of social media, of course, having trouble disconnecting in that way. Oh, sure. I can imagine. I actually read one of your blog posts that was really great on social media and breakups. And in it, you wrote, every minute you spend scrolling and clicking around on your ex's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feed is another minute not dedicated to making yourself and your needs a priority, which that sounds so powerful to me. Uh, What other ways does social media kind of tinker with breakups? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a big deal. Um, And I think, you know, what, probably 15 to 20 years ago, breakups look completely different because we didn't have as active use of social media. Um, But I think social media really gives us like an increased preoccupation with our exes and really makes it easier for kind of for them to just kind of pop up places, you know. So, um, you know, on Facebook, like when they suggest friends of friends or, you know, even suggesting that you friend your ex, even though you may have kind of disconnected that connection. Um. It also, I think it really allows people to kind of spend a lot of time um, really lurking through feeds and posts to kind of make sense of things. You know, after a breakup, there tends to be lots of questions. And I think sometimes we use social media to try to get the answers to those questions. And they're often wrong. Um, You know, so we kind of make a lot of assumptions and try to put things together related to, you know, social media posts. Really, it has nothing to do with either the breakup or you. You know, I think we make a lot of wrong guesses when we're just trying to piece together things like that. Sure. No, that makes a great deal of sense. And I think it it's very enticing sometimes to just, I mean, I even research just, you know, old friends even. Like you're curious mm-hmm. and you kind of want to, but I think there's this fine line, like you said, between uh, trying to figure things out that maybe it's not the right way. Do you think there's any sort of right or wrong as far as maintaining social media connections? Like should you stay friends with them? Should you keep following them on Twitter? All of that. Absolutely not. I think you have to break those connections, especially, you know, in the early days. I like to tell people um, for at least the first three months really to kind of do a detox with their social media and really clear out any kind of indications of the ex of unfriending, unfollowing, all of that stuff, just because I think it also builds a lot of anxiety. Um, You know, so inevitably there will be a time where they will post a picture with someone else. And then, you know, all this anxiety about who this person is and is this who they're dating now? you know, just all these questions and messages we get about ourselves. Um, And so I think the only way to kind of avoid some of that anxiety is to kind of clear your feeds of any kind of connections to your ex. Yeah. Even as you were saying that, just imagining being in that space, I just felt like Mm -hmm. an exhale. Because if you can't know, you know, it's like, just turn the thing off. Just don't even let it be there. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. You mentioned uh, the sort of clinging on and holding on and then anxiety also about starting something new. What are some of the signs that, you know, you're ready to explore a new relationship or be open to one? Mm-hmm. I think when you can reasonably go on a date and not be always comparing them to your ex, you know, I mean, I think some of that is kind of natural just because, you know, that's the last person who has occupied that space. But if, if you're kind of doing a side by side comparison of everything they do, like, oh, they don't dress like my ex or, oh, they didn't hold the door open or that kind of thing. I think that that's maybe a good indication that you're not really ready to move on. Um, I also think once you are clearer about your desires and your intentions in a relationship, that can be a really good sign to move on. You know, so I think a lot of times we do compromising in relationships and there's a healthy compromise. But then there are also compromises we make that um, really kind of speak to just kind of wanting to hold on to a relationship for the sake of being in a relationship. And so I think once you have a breakup and you become clear about the things that you will and won't allow for yourself, I think that can be a really good sign that you might be ready to move on. Mm, that makes really good sense. A a friend of mine went through a breakup recently and people were giving her advice to keep dating, keep dating, keep dating. Mm -hmm. And she felt pressured to. And is that something that can be healed? Like the whole rebound thing? Do you think that is that risky? 
I, I do think it is. I mean, I think if you feel like you're ready to kind of get back out of there, then by all means do it. But I think people who give you the advice of kind of just get back out there and start dating again, I think that's because they just really want us to not be hurting. And it's really hard to see your loved ones really struggling after a breakup. So I think they often have well-meaning intentions, but I don't think that that's the best advice just because I think you do need to give yourself a period to grieve and mourn, you know, the ending of that relationship before you're ready to date again. Sure. And I, in my own experience during, after the kind of storm of, because I, (laughs) maybe they all are, but I feel like some people seem like they're not as chaotic. Like I feel like I've had some turbulent ones and after them, Mm -hmm. it felt very empowering. Uh, So I loved what you said about breakups being a catalyst for women making remarkable strides in their lives. Could you explain that a bit? Yeah, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, I think that often when we're in the throes of a relationship, we don't always kind of evaluate, are we really kind of moving forward in our own lives in the ways that we had planned? Um, And, you know, often make a lot of compromises for the sake of a relationship. Um, And then I think after a relationship ends, I think it really forces you to kind of, you know, it all falls apart in a lot of ways. And so I think it forces you to kind of reevaluate and say, okay, well, what was I giving up that I would prefer not to? at this point, you know, in what ways can I move forward? What new things can I take on that would really allow me to be the best version of myself as possible? Mm, Really good advice. Uh, I loved also you mentioned uh, that you help people work through that timeline issue. And I can imagine that, you know, 30s and beyond where most of us, a lot of us anyway, are more focused on committed relationships, whether it's we want a long term partner, or we also want a family and that kind of thing. Um, And now, women have really unique uh, challenges and choices too. You know, a friend mm-hmm. of mine had her eggs frozen, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are some of the ways or kind of messages that uh, people can gain hope from if they're in that space, if they're feeling like I just broke up with someone and I'm kind of grieving that whole future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think, you know, technology and medicine has really kind of given us um, new ways to not have to worry about that so much. So I think that that's really good. You know, if kids and things are something that you plan in the future, um, you can definitely get around kind of just being able to kind of start a family in the traditional way. Um, but I also really think it's important to focus on not making decisions out of desperation, you know, so you don't want to be so focused on, OK, I want to start this family that you start making relationship decisions with people who really are not in your best interest and won't ultimately be a good partnership for you. That makes a lot of good sense. Yes. I, I In LA here, uh, I've heard people say, I, I think this terminology is somewhat because it's LA, but they say they're auditioning husbands or wives. Like, you know, <laughs> and that whole idea is just kind of really uh-huh. creepy to me because, you know, I just feel like if some, if I'm on a date with somebody, I would certainly hope that they were just wanting to get to know me, but it's understandable to have these mixed, you know, mixed feelings about that. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you keep those, uh, some of those kind of broader goals? Are those things that you you recommend people bring up early in the dating process that they're seeking a family eventually? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I do think I think that goes back to the idea of kind of being very clear with your intentions. Um, You know, so not necessarily on the first date, do you have to kind of ask, okay, do you want two kids? And do you want to live in LA? And you know, that kind of thing. I think you kind of want to know if there's even any chemistry before you get into that. But I do think pretty early on in the dating process, you should kind of make it clear that you're interested in something more serious, you know, not and not just kind of casually dating. Sure, sure. That Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Uh, And what's one bit of advice that you'd share in a kind of general way for anyone? Because I'm sure many listeners are 
fresh in the breakup process right now and and struggling with it. And I feel like even though it's common, we can feel pretty alone. What mm-hmm. what what would you advise? Yeah, I think it's really important to really allow yourself to fully experience all of the emotions that come up after a breakup. You know, so again, it's a grieving process. There will be a period of mourning. It's totally okay to feel heartbroken and devastated. Um, But I also think that you really need to focus on allowing your support system to take care of you in that period. You need to do the basic things like remembering to eat, sleep, and bathe, because sometimes that falls to the wayside just because you're so sad. Um, And then I think once you're ready, it's really important to start a new hobby or some kind of new project that kind of gives you a sense of um, confidence and accomplishment. You know, I think that that can be really good to kind of reset the clock and get you back on the right page. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. Definitely be sure to check out Dr. Joy's website, hellodrjoy.com for much more. She has a fantastic blog. You can also follow her on Twitter at hellodrjoy. I heard from a listener this past week who is struggling in another relationship area, arousal, and getting on the same page with her guy. Here's what she wrote. Hi, August. Doing a bit of research for an issue um, I'm having in my current relationship. My boyfriend believes that I should be turned on by nothing more than the sight or touch of him, and I'm trying to explain why that isn't the only thing that's needed. Do you have any articles or research that you can point me to that will help me explain it to him. Much appreciated, Katie. Such a wonderful question, Katie. Um, I asked our resident sex therapist, Dr. Megan Fleming, what she thought. Here's her response. Katie, again, a great question um, because certainly it's not uncommon that men believe that, you know, women should be automatically turned on just by the look of them or the mere touch. And I think it's so important to recognize, and the research is clear, that women take significantly longer to get aroused than men. And our sexuality in some ways is even more complex. It's not sort of the linear desire arousal orgasm. In fact, Rosemary Basson sort of coined a new model, which is uh, secular, and it's sort of the open and receptive model. And by that, I mean, not all women come to sex with a feeling of desire. It's through, oh, it feels nice you stroking my hair, the touch, the caress, that, oh, the body kicks in and feels aroused, and then the desire builds from there. And I think that it's really important that your partner recognizes arousals, both mental and physical. So, you know, in what ways have you already been feeling connected? And do you feel through kissing, touching, caressing that you're already getting stimulated and aroused? Because I think, again, our culture really for men, the uh, image that they get is through porn. That's their sort of sex education. And I think men really need to recognize that if we imitate that model and it's really generally focused, that actually we're not getting our partners ultimately and ultimately aroused. So we need to cultivate the opposite, which is sort of that leisurely, playful, full body touching, massaging. And not to say that the generals don't get included, but it's not the focus. Um, and I think that when your partner recognizes and experiences the difference between how your body feels and looks uh, in terms of lubrication and it may be flushing and so the vasocongestion, the fullness in your vagina, that there's a big difference between when you're aroused and when you're not aroused. And so slowing things down for him to understand and get experientially that difference and noticing the differences in your body, I think would be incredibly motivating because he sees that ultimately if he takes the time and you're more fully aroused, it's truly a win-win for both of you. 
That said, I also know that you were looking for some books and recommendations. So I'm going to give you two. Uh, one is The Women's Anatomy of Arousal by Sherry Winston, which was an ASECT uh, award winner. And the other is Great Sex, A Man's Guide to the Secret Principle of Total Body Sex by Michael Castleman. I think those two books um, would be, again, read them first yourself and think about which parts to share with your partner or potentially find out what parts you want to read together. But I think educating your partner and most importantly, the experiential, noticing and feeling the difference in your body and how receptive you are and how turned on you are is going to make a huge difference for him because the biggest turn on for almost all men is feeling their partner's desire and feeling your arousal and your pleasure. So taking the time to build it and see the rewards of that, like I said earlier, is truly the win-win for both of you. Fantastic advice as always. Thank you, Dr. Megan. To learn more about Dr. Megan, go to greatsexgreatlife.com and follow her on Twitter at Megan Fleming PhD. Katie, thank you so much for your question. I hope that was helpful. I hope those resources help you out as well. Um, I'll just add that for all of you listeners out there, it's it's so interesting to me how different we all are, right? And it's difficult to get to know what our partners want, uh, what we want, you know, to convey our desires, all of that. Uh, so whether you're turned on and climax quickly or it takes a lot more time, I just want you all to know that there's not a thing wrong with you. I say that because I've heard from so many rec- women recently who – they're concerned that they don't fit into certain stats or norms, or, you know, they tell me that uh, they think that their partner, you know, wants their male partner wants to have really lengthy sex and they want shorter sex or, or, you know, whatever it is, or it's supposed to take 20 minutes or is it supposed to take whatever. And so I think it's really important to know that however you are, you know, is okay. What matters is that you are feeling comfortable. I think it's so great, Katie, that you are trying to find ways to relay your concerns and your desires to your partner rather than just, you know, feeling resentful. Cause I think that's a really easy thing to do is to kind of start feeling like, why don't they get this, you know, but if we're not communicating, which is what you want to do, um, how can they know, right? Staying in tune with our needs, our desires, and our turn-ons is so important for cultivating healthy, happy relationships. And now it is time for a Girl Boner Quickie. I don't wanna be loved, I don't wanna be loved. I just want a quickie. Here are 10 quick ways to send our Girl Boners re- reeling. And if you want to share these with your partner, very simple way, just say, hey, have you heard this podcast? You don't even have to tell them that I was suggesting these things. But if one of these is, if you hear this and you go, oh my gosh, that is such a turn on for me, and you're not sure how to tell your guy, your girl, whatever, share this. Uh, number one, talk with us. Many women feel, you know, a lot of emotional connectedness is necessary as part of foreplay. Uh, and little draws people closer than communication. Number two, look us in the eye. Locking eyes with a partner makes us feel vulnerable in this beautiful way. It promotes the sense of trust and desire and intimacy. Number three, touch us where it counts. In a women's health survey uh, recently that asked women to list their top turn-ons, get this, a whole bunch said, when he touches my thigh, I never would have guessed that. But it makes sense when you think about it. When you're out and you're being touched in a place that no one ever touches, you know, it's very intimate, very hot. Number four, embrace PDA. 
Kissing, hugging, walking hand in hand, hugging in public, all of that instills a sense of trust. And again, trust is a huge uh, part of arousal and really helps us feel safe in our sexuality, which is very important for all of us. We know that you're not only delighted to be with us when you do this, but you let the world know about it. That's so cool. And if you and your partner have different comfort levels about PDA, totally fine. Just aim for a happy medium. Find a place that you're both comfortable. Number five, play romantic tunes. In a study conducted by Spotify, participants who were a mix of women and men were 40% more likely to be sexually aroused by music than touch. Whoa, right? That doesn't mean don't touch us, of course, but how about a bit of both? Number six, don't fixate on your body but do accept it. Men who don't obsess over their appearance are the most likely to tantalize women, said relationship coach Yankee Christine. Uh, accepting your body as it is shows us that you're secure enough to value what's on the inside the most. Number seven, lubricate our lips. Yes, those ones. Okay, all of them. But wetness, whether from your mouths or a commercial lubricant, uh, you know, I prefer organic, but whatever one you like, can make sex more sensual and fun for both partners. It also really helps if you have any sort of pain or irritation during intercourse, uh, hormonal issues, all of that. But honestly, it's really sexy for everyone. Number eight, caress the clit a nice little phrase, isn't it? The clitoris is the primary pleasure area for women, and most of us climax either through clitoral stimulation alone or a blend. So clit and somewhere else, deep inside, maybe it's nipples, whatever, but don't ignore the clit. And if you don't know where it is, hop over to my blog, Click Girl Boner. There's tons of resources there. Number nine, help ease our stress. Stress is a top libido tanker for everyone, but especially for women. Sex can actually help minimize stress, but not if we don't arrive there in the first place, right? It sounds like a catch-22, but you could turn it around. Just do things together that are relaxing, especially if you know that your partner is feeling you know, a lot of stress from work or hasn't been sleeping well or whatever. Meditate alone or together. Um, pour her a bubble bath. Take, take a bubble bath together. Go for a walk. Talk things out, whatever it takes. Number 10, cultivate sexual variety. To keep the sexual synergy and excitement alive in your relationship, Relationship, you got to keep things fresh. Try new positions, sex toys, or locations. You know, try some of the different books that um, Dr. Megan recommended. They sound like they have some great universal messages. Just to open up your mind and, and think about more. You know, try to learn more about uh, sexuality as a whole. New experiences help your brain release dopamine, which is that chemical we feel all high off of when we're falling in love. Yes, we can have that even deep into a relationship years down the road. What is your favorite turn on? What would you like to hear explored here in Girl Boaterland? I love hearing from you. Send me your questions. Send me your topic ideas. Connect with me on social media or drop me a note directly through my website. That's augustmclaughlin.com. McLaughlin is M-C, laugh, L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes and leave a simple review. You can also now watch many episodes on YouTube where I'm posting some extras and some of my in-person guests the full show find my channel at youtube.com slash august mclaughlin to support girl boner and land some seriously awesome intimacy products shop at good vibrations by clicking the ad on my website sidebar thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful girl boner embracing week 